Guardian angels and patron saints, pray for us. Lord, I, I want to see, says the man in the gospel reading today, and is given sight on account of his faith. As I like to remind those who come to our Thursday night meetings on how to begin to see the world through the, through the eyes of Catholicism, um, we're not really here joining a club, we're not here taking a class, we're here having our, our perspective elevated and shift. That's what it means to be a Catholic, is to see the world through the eyes of Christ. As Christians, we come to look out on the world with, with the eyes of Jesus, and we see it, as C.S. Lewis once said, we see the world by the light that is generated through our faith. C.S. Lewis says, I believe in Christianity like I believe the sun has risen. Not only do I see it, but I see everything else by its light. So what is it that Christians see that others don't? What is it about our perspective that is different? What dawns on the world in Christ? I think the most consistent biblical image that names this reality of our experience here on earth is that we are in exile. We've been exiled from our homeland. We have a kind of memory of it, and we long to be back there, but we're stuck somewhere else in a place we'd rather not be. We've died, and our life is hidden with Christ and God, says St. Paul. One of the things that I think characterizes the Christian life as a time of, of exile is the fact that we like to celebrate things that remind us of our homeland. One such celebration is the feast that comes up this week. November 1st is the Feast of All Saints. And that day also happens to be um, the day that is celebrated the night before by All Hallows' Eve, as we know our Halloween celebration is always there. And I don't know about you, but Halloween is a day that I think particularly needs to be one that we see through the eyes of Christ. It is, after all, a Christian feast. It's been commandeered by some other forces at work and sometimes feels like something Christians shouldn't be a part of. I know I talk with some of my friends who have serious objections to letting their kids participate in a day that seems like it's being marketed as death and sex for children. <laughs> Just walk down the costume aisle in some of these stores sometimes and you think to yourself, whoa. Halloween, however, in its original form, which goes back hundreds and hundreds of years, to the, even to the Middle Ages, even, even before that, was a day of preparation for the celebration of all saints. And really get a sense of what it's all about, I think uh, an image from history can help. Whenever a Roman general would fight in a foreign war and conquer the enemies of Rome, he would bring his prisoners back for a triumphal entry back into the city. And those prisoners, oftentimes the generals and the, and the kings of those conquered peoples, as they were brought into the city, they'd always be shackled and paraded through the city as a kind of trophy, humiliating them, mocking them. These barbarians who were threatening the peace of Rome Look at them now. Following them, of course, then, would be the Roman legions, victorious. 
This is something of what Halloween and All Saints is meant to be. A triumphal parade of the enemies that have been conquered by the death and resurrection of Jesus. They were meant to be mocked, not, uh, not sort of falling back from them in terror, as often seems to be the case. The goal of Halloween oftentimes to, to evoke a kind of terror, an intimidation of the power and the force of evil. No, precisely the opposite of what it was meant to be. It was meant to be a time where we would dress up almost like buffoons, jesters, uh, with the symbols of death, skeletons, devils, ghosts, and laugh at them. Look at those, look at those vain, empty forms that try to intimidate, that try to seem powerful, but in fact we know they are emptied of their power. The grave no longer enslaves. And so too the following day, the Feast of All Saints, the victorious, those who have, been, those who have fought alongside Christ, and gained his victory, come marching into the holy city. So I hope we can see these celebrations through that lens. And I hope that even as we kind of look at the the maybe darker forms of this celebration, that we try to reclaim it. We should celebrate Halloween. We should be engaged with it in, in a cultural way. This, after all, is the fruit of our own faith manifested in a cultural way, no matter how people who no longer share that faith have commandeered it for their own purposes. Certainly it's a day for us to remember our dead and to pray for them. There is a plenary indulgence attached to visiting a cemetery during the Feast of All Souls, which happens to fall on a Friday this year. The tradition of going and having a picnic out in the cemetery. Cemeteries are beautiful places. They're not morbid places. They're tranquil and peaceful places to be able to remember loved ones and to, and to offer prayers for them. It's a great tradition that should be, that should be brought back. Even, uh, I don't know, as kids are going door to door looking for candy, slipping in a little proclamation of Christ's victory as they accept their candy. Biba Cristo Re, right? Doesn't even have to be something people necessarily understand, but they know. Long live Christ the King. That's why we're here. Just a little subtle way of reclaiming what it is that this day is all about. Whatever it may be, I leave it up to you all, your creativity, to put into practice the things that are at the heart of our faith and to reclaim a Christian vision of the world. These celebrations which remind us of our homeland here in a land of exile are a way that we also respond to those who try to point out the ways in which the forms of faith or the church perhaps is suffering or dying. The great Fulton Sheen, I'll share with you a quote from him, reminds us how often people tell us in a half-pitying and half-contemptuous tone that we belong to a dying religion. Let us accept the omen. Let us boast of the accusation. We are, we always have been a dying religion. From the first, we went underground in the catacombs. Again and again, we've been forced to our knees, fought a losing battle all down the centuries. Do they think it is any news to us that the world is our enemy? That it persecutes us as it persecuted our master? Today, as yesterday, we are content to herald his death 
until he comes. I often think of this quote when I'm celebrating Mass somewhere other than in a church, on a camping trip, some situation, maybe a retreat, where we don't have the normal setting for our worship. It reminds me of what it would have been like to celebrate Mass during a time of persecution. What would that be like? Who would be there? At what cost would they be there? At what cost would I be there? I remember a story that my friend, Father Connor Danstrom, a priest involved in campus ministry at the University of Illinois, Chicago, about um, some of the experiences of his relatives who lived in Ireland during times of persecution when, when Catholicism um, in certain places was outlawed and other places was heavily frowned upon. His relatives lived in a town where all the property was owned by Protestants, and so they would not give them a right to build a church. They couldn't build a church. So, they built an ark. It was a little self-contained mass chapel that could be carried around on poles like a litter. And they found a spot on the beach, because according to the law of the time, the, the land that was covered by high and low tide, the land between high and low tide on the beach, couldn't be owned by anyone. So they would carry their little ark out to the beach on a Sunday, and they would attend Mass, kneeling in the cold, you can imagine an Irish beach, cold, rocky, wet, miserable. But they would do that because that's the only way that they could live out their faith, that they, that they could keep their oath of fidelity to their homeland, their true home. It's stories like that that remind me that the church will never die. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And the truth of our exile is not one of perpetual mourning. We are to go about not with downcast faces, but recognizing that we are destined for something greater, that living in this truth sets us free to experience real joy, like the exiles who pray in our psalm today. If our life is hidden with Christ and God, that means no one can take it from us. We entrust ourselves again and ask that we have a deep sense of our exile so that these celebrations, these moments in which our homeland is recalled to us, our happy memories and our eternal hopes might once again find deep root within our hearts. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.